Josh Martin Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Haley Noel, the podcaster extraordinary. Extraordinary. You got me boosted into this line of, you know, fun or whatever you want to call it. And she's host of the Philosophy of Fitness Podcast. She's a manifestation coach and a guru of mindfulness. So welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for being here. Go ahead and introduce yourself. So you can do a much better yeah. job, I'm sure, than I can. Uh, so where do I start? Um, well, my name's Haley, obviously. Um, I've had a crazy journey that's led me to where I am now in terms of the path that I'm on. Uh, but long story short, I left the corporate world behind. A uh, little bit after that, I had a spiritual awakening. And that sort of unraveled an entire journey of learning and unlearning for me that's led me to where I am now in terms of exploring manifestation, the law of attraction, fitness, mindfulness, nutrition, raising your vibration, taking your power back. And it's been a beautiful journey. And as I say to a lot of people, it's a never ending one, right? We never reach this point where we're fully awake or we've learned everything that we have to learn. And um, I'm just trusting where the journey is taking me. But it's really been amazing so far, especially with the creativity side of things of being able to express myself with social media has been huge for me. I'm a very creative person. So I'm truly grateful that I'm able to express myself in that way as, as a career. So that's a little bit of my backstory, the spark notes version. Awesome. You escaped the matrix quite young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it on my, in the whole timeline of things by a good bit. I'm sure. So what was it? Did, I know you had a professional career in New York and you're you know, completely in the rat race. What was it that made you take the jump and decide, you know what, I'm going to go do my own thing? Well, it was an interesting journey for me. It was very short, as you mentioned, shorter than most people before they leave that you know trajectory. But when I was in college, I had this whole idea in my head of what my life was going to look like and what I thought I was supposed to do based on what, you know, my peers were telling me, teachers, parents, et cetera, of what was going to be a successful life. So I had an internship at Pfizer, which is ironic now because I'm not really in favor of a lot of what they do. Uh, and that led me to working in healthcare advertising. And when I explain what that journey looked like to people, I was a communication major in college, so I really didn't have a clear sense of what I wanted to do. I went in undeclared, and then I had a professor convince me to do communications because it was such a broad major that you could really take into a bunch of different things. So I fell into that whole area of healthcare advertising. That's the, the corporate space that I was in, really because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I very quickly realized that the corporate setting was not for me. It was so unaligned with my soul. And I often tell people that it was a soul-sucking rat race because what I was doing had nothing to do with creativity. It was project management, which is busy work. If anyone has had a profession in that, you know how it is. And it just felt so meaningless. You know, it's like, right. what, is, what is the point of all this? Why are we putting so much into an ad for a diabetes drug that people are probably just going to get up and grab a snack when it comes on the TV? Like, it was just so <sighs> meaningless to me. And very stressful. It was a super high stress job. You know, I was working 60 plus hours a week and I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. I honestly, I can't picture spending 30 odd years of my life slaving away to a job that I don't have any passion for. I don't feel like I'm helping anyone. I don't feel like I'm making any sort of a difference. So I took a risk. I remember I was on the train in the way that, in the way to work and I texted my boss. I was like, Hey, you know, I emailed her. I was like, I'm giving my two weeks notice. I can't do this anymore. And she was like, totally understand. I totally support it. And once I quit that job, I got my personal training certification, banged it out in like two and a half weeks, which is unheard of. Usually it takes people a couple months, but I was just so ready to start a new path for myself. And so from there, I went into fitness instructing, which was amazing. I absolutely loved it. It was so fun, super rewarding. Uh, but then the pandemic came, shut that all down. So that sort of switched up that path. Fast forward, once things reopened, I started doing fitness teaching at a different studio, loved that too. And then fast forward past that, I moved to Florida, had no backup plan for a job, loved the fitness stuff. And I was like, you know what? I know how manifestation works. I know how the law of attraction works. I'm going to trust the process that something's going to fall into my lap. And at that point, I had already started 
posting stuff on TikTok, even though I had no idea what kind of niche I was going to be in or, you know, what I was going to do. I was just trusting the process and I wanted to manifest for myself a job that allowed me to work from home, being creative, helping people with what I'm creating and basically creating content on my own terms. And when I left my old job in New York, not even like a week after I quit that job with no plan B for when I was moving to Florida, uh, the company that I work for now reached out to me and said, hey, we're looking for somebody to manage our TikTok. You'd be a perfect fit. You don't drink because it's a company for people that you know are looking to change their relationship with alcohol. So very serendipitously, I fell into that path. I've been with them ever since then and uh, building my own brand alongside and trusting the process as I go. But that's basically my journey of escaping the matrix. And I could not see myself working a desk job like that. I just, I couldn't do it. Awesome. Ever again. <laughs> so congratulations, first and foremost. Thank and you. Yeah. secondly, I guess, is this the biggest thing that you've manifested? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I've manifested some pretty crazy stuff. And I, I make some videos about this and people think I'm joking, but I'm not joking because I've looked back at my old notebooks that I've had of, you know, writing out stuff as if I have it in my present reality. And it's here now. Like I, I thought about that a few weeks ago. I'm like, damn, I, for years, I wrote in my journal, I want to live in Florida. I want to live in the sunshine. I want to have access to nature year round. I hate winter. So I couldn't wait to get out of New York. And even when I would go through my visualization process a few years ago, even like my bedroom looks like what I had visualized back then, my morning walks, it's, it's crazy. It's manifestations real. <laughs> Absolutely. People do not believe me when I, I tell a similar story. I wrote some things down and I, you know, kind of just went about the process of making myself a better person towards those goals and towards some of the things that I wanted in my life. And next thing you know, a year later, I'm looking back and I go, huh, it's everything I wrote down. How, how does this work? I don't care. Yeah, I'm going to keep yeah. in the process and keep coming back to it and enrich it and, you know, nourish it and watch it happen again. So awesome. And you are now coaching people for manifestation? Yeah. So that is something I do too. So I have mindset coaching and then more specifically manifestation coaching, because I think some people when they hear the term manifestation, they get a little freaked out, especially if they've been brought up in a church setting you know, they think, oh, it's witchcraft, it's woo-woo, it's, it's the devil's work. I've heard, I've heard everything, you know, with stuff that I put out. Um, but what I teach a lot now for people is manifestation and also specifically manifesting for fitness goals, because that's something people really don't talk about. You know, there's every other tool you could need. There's tons of nutrition coaches, there's fitness coaches, there's workout plans, uh, there's recovery plans. But nobody really talks about the way that you can harness the law of attraction specifically for fitness goals. And I guess that's a huge topic that I missed when I was telling you about, you know, things I've manifested. That's, that's another big one is fitness mm -hmm. progress. It's really hard for people to have a fitness journey that's going to get them to actual results that they want, unless they believe, it, unless they've kind of really dedicated some time and energy into creating the image or creating the scene that they want to see in the future and then committing towards it. I mean, as a trainer, I'm sure you've seen it a million times. People come in, they hire you. They want results, but they're not so sure that they can get them in the first place. And that's going to be one of their biggest stumbling blocks. Yeah, the mindset is is huge. It really is. So with manifestation and with those goals, if a person's coming to you and they're that's how they're presenting it is, oh, I, I want to get into shape. What are, you know... I don't want to say a sales script or what are some of the things that you would present to them to help them alleviate their stumbling blocks? So the biggest thing when it comes to fitness goals, nutrition goals, or really any goal that you have in your life is taking a step back and unpacking what your limiting beliefs are around the subject. Because something I talk about a lot, which is subconscious programming and mm -hmm. through our whole lives, whether it's the media that we're consuming the schooling that we've gone through, our parents, our families, our friends, our peers, we are subconsciously absorbing these narratives that tell us whether or not we're going to be successful. And those subconscious narratives can perpetuate what state of life you're in. So if you have this subconscious narrative in your head, I'm going to use money for an example here. So let's say growing up, your family was really poor and you watched your parents, you know, struggle to make ends meet. They would fight over money a lot. They would always be saying there's not enough of it to go around. 
when you're a kid and you're in those developmental stages, your brain is absorbing everything that you're seeing in your environment. And that kind of narrative gets stuck in your subconscious. So a lot of times what happens is people that grew up in that environment find themselves years later when they're 20, 30 years old saying, I'm not able to make money. I'm having a really hard time. And it all goes back to that scarcity mindset and the subconscious right. programming. And you can unpack that for any area of your life. For fitness too, maybe something for me, for example, I was very unathletic as a kid. I was the last kid to finish running the mile in gym class. I was made fun of on sports teams. I was not, you know, somebody that was looked at as athletic or I didn't even recognize that I had a potential to push past my limits. So I always saw myself as someone that was weak, that was unworthy of, you know, getting in shape, that was unworthy of challenging my limits. And it wasn't until I really did the shadow work and sat down with myself and said, you know, where are these beliefs coming from? Why am I not getting past this mental roadblock. And it wasn't until I unpacked that subconscious programming and rewired and retrained my mindset to more of an abundance mindset that I started noticing those changes. So if I'm working with someone, that's that's the first place to start because you can't build on a shitty, shitty bones of a house, right? You got to start right. fresh. Yeah. People, are, I mean, if you're not really thinking about all the relationships we have in life, then you're not thinking about your relationships with your food. You're not thinking about your relationships with money or with the thoughts that kind of in, encompass both of those areas. You're just thinking about the obstacles and the bad results that you've had over and over again. And if yeah. you can't really clear that hurdle, it's going to be challenging no matter what. That's awesome. So when you got into training, what was what certification did you get first of all? Uh, I have the NASM personal training NASM. certification That's, and nutrition yeah. as well. I don't do awesome. nutrition coaching anymore because I kind of switched into more of the content creating side of things, but I'm still super passionate about all that. And NASM was, was a really good foundation myself for myself as well. And what did you think about it when you started writing programs for people and getting into it on? So I, I mean, I loved NASM. Like I, <laughs> Unfortunately for me, when I did take it, I had to punch it out in such a short amount of time. So I feel like a lot of that, you know, was kind of like a stressful mode. But a mm -hmm. lot of what I had experienced was group coaching, not necessarily as much of uh, the personal training side of things. And I loved having the knowledge to be able to help somebody to meet them where they're at, because I think a lot of what intimidates people from working out or even trying a group fitness class or trying to push their limits is that well, this person next to me is more fit than I am, or this person has a better range of motion than I do. And I'm never going to be able to right. live up to that. And if you're somebody that's brand new to working out, you're never going to be able to see success if you don't feel supported from the very beginning. So right. understanding how to meet someone where they're at to make them feel confident enough to push their limits, I think is such a rewarding feeling because everyone has a different starting point. We all started somewhere. I'm sure you started, you know, really not knowing what you were doing. I started having no idea what I was doing, you know, when I first started working out. And I remember being so anxious going to the gym, especially when I was in college, because I was so afraid I would look like an idiot or, you know, people would make fun of me because I can't lift a certain weight. And if you're someone that's prone to anxiety like that, it can be a huge mental roadblock that keeps you from even challenging your limits because you let that little voice in your head win and say, you know what, we're not even going to try today because this is just, I'm just going to make a fool of myself. It's going to be a joke. But if you can find somebody, and I wish when I was in that position that I had a trainer or somebody to help me meet me where I'm at and make me feel confident and comfortable enough to try to expand on what I could do and to appreciate what I'm able to do, A, and B, build upon that so then I can gain more confidence to keep challenging myself plays right back into the self-limiting beliefs that you were talking about with manifestation. Yeah. That was one of yeah. the uh, challenges I, I had when I was working with clients is that, yeah, I know you have a goal and I know you really want to get there and you want to get there quickly, but there's certain things that you're maybe not paying attention to or that you, nobody has brought your attention to that might need to prioritize before you can ever go, you know, start really dead. Levels. So, with that in mind, when you were working with clients, did you realize that some of these people had manifestation issues? Yeah, I think it all comes down to self-limiting beliefs. And the more the more that you talk with someone, right, and, and really get to know them or talk through a process with them, you start to kind of see a mental pattern. Something that I would see all the time is people making excuses for everything of like, mm -hmm. well, I really want to lose weight. Or, you know, even when I worked with nutrition clients, it would be like, I want to get into shape but 
I just get so stressed at the end of the week and then I want to treat myself or, well, I have this issue going on and you can hear the person kind of shooting themselves down, right? It's that little devil in their head trying to keep them in that place of consistency. And this is a, another rabbit hole. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So something he yeah, talks man. about a lot is how people get addicted to stress and mm -hmm. it becomes a habitual thing in the mind. So if you're somebody who your entire life, you've believed you're unworthy, you've believed you aren't capable, your body subconsciously is going to do everything it can to keep itself in that state that it's used to because it's ironically, it's safe and comfortable. So when you talk to these people, it's usually years of subconscious programming. And that's where those excuses are coming from, because that's the subconscious mind trying to keep them in a place of safety. But that change is unfamiliar. That change is unknown. So that's why it becomes scary. And that's why people often try to you know, justify why they're falling out of alignment or why they're doing something that isn't really honoring where their progress is going. So I think that's a super common thing with, with fitness goals. Let's bring that back to pharmaceuticals. What do you think about the people that have kind of already become, I don't want to say customers, but yeah, customers of pharma and dependents of pharmaceuticals and have layered pharma upon pharma because of what their doctors are telling them and feeding that thought process of, oh, I'm not worthy or I'm broken and yeah. this is the only fix. So did you have any of that knowledge when you were at Pfizer? <laughs> did you, oh, did you no. think about any of those things back then? Not at all. Back then, I wasn't even, I was, I was a very different person, you know, back then. Yeah. And, and, uh, I are. wasn't, I wasn't even in, even in college, I wasn't questioning things. I wasn't formulating my own opinions. It was very much, and I, I hate to use the phrase indoctrination, but like in mm -hmm. hindsight, I do believe that I was indoctrinated because I just was being spoon fed certain narratives and, mm -hmm not questioning them and going on with the bandwagon. I was very much a follower. I was very much somebody that wanted to fit in. And so at that point in time, I wasn't even questioning it. Even when I worked at the other agency that I was at, I really wasn't questioning it. But there was a voice in the back of my head that, as I mentioned to you earlier, <clears throat> I was like, what is the point of this all? No, Like I said, no, who's watching these? Anyone listening to this, do you actually watch a pharmaceutical ad when it's on the TV? I think they're ridiculous. I I think they're just like, that's the time that you go and get up and get a snack or you skip it when you see it on YouTube. It's just like, I, I just, I thought it was really meaningless. And I kind of was starting to wonder, A, why from the meaningless side of things, but B, why is this being pushed on people so heavily? Why are they investing so much into the advertisement side of it? So I think that might've been like sort of trickling into my mind, but at that point I wasn't, I wasn't at all, you know, questioning things like I am now. That's for we sure. Spoke of, we spoke about a little bit when I was on your podcast and, and how many people, especially if, like you had just said, are operating in a stressful situation because they are comfortable in that stress, you know, estate, they're subconsciously driving and operating throughout their day. So they're processing these advertisements a lot differently than somebody who's conscious and aware and paying attention to what's really <clears throat> coming across the TV screen, I think discernment is severely lacking if you're in a stressful situation, 24 hours a day, you can't recover. So, yeah, it's it's sad. I, I saw the number the other day was 85% of advertising is, is pharma. And the only the amount of that, money that goes into yeah. it is astonishing. It's astonishing. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, election years are the the one years where. It gets skewed a bit because obviously, yeah, the politicians in the office who will, you know, further push pharmaceutical narratives. Um, so training for yourself when you got your National Academy of Sports Medicine certification, what did you jump into for yourself? In terms of like workouts or career wise, yeah, were you were you were you going to CrossFit? Were you? Uh, you no, have done so, CrossFit a bit, right? Yes, I have. Um, yeah, so. I guess I'll give a little bit of like my fitness background just Great. even before I had my certification. So I kind of touched on it earlier. When I was in college, I went to the gym pretty frequently and I thought that I was, you know, a healthy person. Copious amounts of alcohol aside, which is like a whole other topic, but I, I would go to the gym. I would do an hour on the elliptical. 
and I would get all embarrassed and then I would walk out because I was, I was so anxious going into a gym setting. And I think if anybody listening to this has had like social anxiety or anxiety when it comes to working out, you know, that feeling of like the second you step into a gym being super overwhelmed. So I was doing that. I was so afraid to even touch a dumbbell. The only time I ever did was when I went with my roommates because I was with a few people and they could kind of like help me. And then after I graduated and I got into that corporate job, I started working out at Orange Theory, which is another uh, group fitness chain mm -hmm. and fell in love with it. It was like my stress outlet. You know, I would rush home from work and get into that workout class. And that was really what made me fall in love with fitness was seeing that group fitness setting, seeing people challenge their limits, seeing somebody leave class saying, wow, I shaved this amount of time off of my mile or I, I shaved this amount of time off my 200 meter row seeing people feel confident, like envying the instructors in the class. I was like, I want to do that. That seems so rewarding to, to be like helping people and to see them making progress. And so that was when I fell in love with fitness. So Orange Theory really was the game changer for me, which is basically, if you're not familiar, it's weights, uh, rowers, treadmills. So it's a nice mix of everything. Um, so I did that. I did running for a while. During the pandemic, I was running quite a bit. I was running like six, seven miles a day because <laughs> there was nothing else to do. Um, and then that kind of paused cause I had sort of messed up my hip, which was on my fault. I wasn't properly like taking care of myself with stretching with that, but, uh, cycling I've done, I've honestly done every single workout you could imagine. I've done crazy stuff with like these climbing machines. I've done CrossFit. I've done bar Pilates, yoga, uh, everything and anything in between. And the, the biggest thing that I found is, uh, I like it all. There's there's pieces that I like of each and there's things that I don't like from each. So I'm kind of at a place now where I just train intuitively and kind of see what feels right. And it's been working out pretty well. Awesome. So you also touched on alcohol in there and I know now you're alcohol free. What was that process like? What brought about that change or the need for it? Yeah. So that was that was an interesting journey for me. So I, I was a goody two shoes growing up. I was the kind of kid that I never even had a sip of wine or anything on prom night because I was goody two shoes. And then once I got to college, I took it way too far. Like, and it's honestly sad in hindsight because I think in Western culture, it's such a big part of the college experience for people to, oh, we go to school and we party and we, you know, let loose. And I was thinking about this recently where it's like, you got a question when we're in those formative years, right, your brain is still growing. I think the male and the female brain haven't even fully matured when you're 18 to 22 years old. So why are we being spoon fed this narrative that we should be drinking in excess every single weekend when alcohol shrinks gray matter in your brain and literally prevents cognitive function from, you know, functioning properly? So that's a whole other kind of like conspiracy. But uh, long story short, I took it way too far. I'm talking Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every single week when I was in college, I can count on one hand the number of times that I didn't drink on a weekend. And it was only if I was severely sick or something, there was any other time I was drinking. And it wasn't even like it was just a little bit, it was always taking it way too far in excess. And I think the slippery slope with that is it's so normalized in college where Nobody would assume that you have a drinking problem because everybody else is doing it. And it's cool right. to black out. It's cool to, you know, drink so much. And so when people think of somebody that might have an alcohol problem, they probably think of somebody that's drinking every single night or, you know, going on benders. But in that setting, it's so normalized where people around you don't realize you have a problem and you yourself don't realize you have a problem until you're out of it. And it wasn't until I was out of college and I was still falling into this pattern and I wasn't somebody that drank every night, but when I did, it was like, you know, the lay slogan where they say you can't have just one. <laughs> that was yeah. always my experience with alcohol. And I, I was never somebody that could just have one drink. My brain doesn't work that way. You know, I'm not somebody that could be a moderate drinker because that was just never something that worked for me. And so then I noticed once I graduated, I was still seeing myself in this pattern, even in the corporate world of on the weekends, waking up and saying, what have I done this? What am I doing to my body? This is horrible. And so I kind of was still stuck in that. And there were so many points where 
I told myself, you know, never again, I'm done. I'm not doing it. But it wasn't enough for me to snap out of it. There were so many times I told myself, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And the next weekend, it would just be the same thing, you know, over and over again. But it wasn't until I had a spiritual awakening. And I say awakening loosely because I think we can become awake, awakened to deeper levels multiple times in our lives. But it wasn't until I had that spiritual shift internally that I realized alcohol did not play a role in my life. And it was holding me back mentally, physically, and affecting my energy and my vibration. And it was kind of a slow phase out for me. There was a period of moderate drinking, probably about three months before I finally decided I'm done. And the last drink I ever had was a Zed concert back in 2019. Cheers up the champagne glass with my friends. And I've told this story a few times on my podcast, but probably the closest thing to like an epiphany moment. Cause when I held my glass up, I was just like, this is not fun anymore. I'm, I'm going to feel like shit tomorrow. I'm going to be hungover. I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. I think I'm done. And so I put that glass down and that was the last drink I ever had. And I have not looked back since then and going on four years sober now. And it's just, it's been incredible. Awesome. It's ironic that we were all shoved into the idea that we needed to both go to college and at the same time, that place was for, like you said, partying and this yeah. liberation, which doesn't really serve any of us properly or well. And we, most of us come out of college with debt and an alcohol addiction. It's, <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a wild little thing to wrap your head around, I guess. So yeah. conspiracy theories, is that, is that one of the biggest conspiracies out there, that alcohol in college? That's one that I came up with. I have I haven't seen anyone talk about that, but I don't know. I just, you know, when you're falling asleep at night, you think of these things, or at least I do. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What if that's part of like the the plan? You yeah. know, let's dumb yeah. them down. Let's let's remove them from their from their power. Let's remove them from their desires, like the, to actually make something of themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's that's a theory. That's a working theory that I have. Did, did we talk about the Flexen Report on your podcast? I, I no, no. I, all right, so the Flexen Report was uh, was essentially the Rockefeller move to get rid of holistics and oh, okay. to really kind of push us into the allopathic medicine or none. And it it was so heavily funded. And if you go back and you read it and you read it and you look at how it you know was portrayed, it kind of it kind of just really it pushed the market in a direction where you're not going to get funding for anything that isn't allopathic and isn't dumbing us down or addicting us or you know kind of taking us away from root knowledge and most of these holistics have been around for hundreds of years if not you know thousand years and they worked and they worked so education is one of those things where i have to kind of you know, especially if you look where the most of the academia is funded and where it's coming from, I have to put it in the same exact alignment with it. Is that this was done on purpose? So there was bad and not the same bad intentions you would think of with alcohol, but for the same means. You know, like why are we being robbed of our creativity, of the things and real goals and real things that we should attribute to? So yeah, and. They're hooking us. They're hooking us. So, in college, did you graduate? Yeah, yeah. All right. So you did four years, I'm assuming? Yep, I did four years. Um, super small school in New Hampshire. Uh, most mm -hmm. people, it's called St. Anselm, uh, if anyone's curious. But we actually had a monastery on campus. That was like our, our wow. big selling point. Yeah. But we had, I think, under 2,000 kids total. So everybody knew everybody. It was very, very small. And would you recommend college for everyone? Uh, this is going to be controversial, but for everyone, no. I honestly, yeah. like, and I'm not, this is going to sound, you know, like I'm privileged saying this. Like, I'm obviously very fortunate that I had a college experience. I did learn a lot, you know, through the process. But if you're somebody that, like, if you're somebody that has a set career, if you say from when you're born, you're like, I want to be a, a, a lawyer. I want to be like a celebrity attorney, something like that. 
then you have a clear trajectory of the schooling that you want. Or if you want to be a psychologist, or if you want to be some sort of like botanist or biologist or something, if you have a set career path that you are know like in every fiber of your being that you want to pursue, yeah, go for it. If you want to be in any of those professions that have that clear trajectory of schooling, yeah. If you're someone that has no idea what they want to do, there's there's two prongs to this. So first one is, for someone that has no idea what they want to do, I would recommend at the very least taking a gap year and exploring mm-hmm. what you're passionate about. Really sit down with yourself. Ask yourself, is this something that I want to do? What am I interested in? What could I see myself doing for a long period of time? That's the first part of it. Second part of it is if you're a young person, and I've seen this a lot more frequently now, I think with social media, but if you're a young person who already is successful in something, I'm going to use, I, there's a creator on TikTok that I know, and I'm thinking of him as an example, but his name is Stone Fredrickson, and he's grown like a huge, like six figure business. And I think he's only 19 years old. So if you're a young person and you've already found something super successful, just because people are telling you college is the right thing to do doesn't mean you have to go and do it. If you're already carving a path for yourself that's successful, stay with that path. Um, and I think more people need to be given time to just explore what the heck they want to do because how are we supposed to have our entire lives figured out when we're 18 years old? It's right. crazy. Unless you're one of those rare people, like I said, that really wants to be in one of those professions, most of us have no idea what we want to do. So if you right. think about it, if you're locking yourself into a major for four years and in a lot of schools, you can't change once you're locked in, unless you go through a crazy process. And then you're three years in, you're like, oh shit, I don't want to do that. I know so yeah. many people that have changed their majors, like expensive. Like I have a friend who was a bioengineering major and she said, I don't want to do this anymore. And she had a really hard time, you know, telling her parents that after going to college saying that she wanted to completely, you know, switch her career path. And that's just one case. I've seen so many people in my age bracket that have switched their careers and gone away from what they went to school for. So long story short, I do not think college is for everyone. I really don't agree. And I think there's a lot of indoctrination that goes on in college. There's a lot of spoon feeding and we're not really encouraged to think as freely as you might think we are. Right. Yeah. I think you saw that during the pandemic. There was a lot of there was a lot of people that you would have thought, oh, they'll see through any kind of hysteria or lies or manipulation possible. But it was the people that were the most indoctrinated that went along with it for the longest. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's as controversial as you think anymore. I think there are more people that are kind of yeah. turned on to the to the idea that hey, man, maybe we're not supposed to you know go into debt that young if nothing else. I think yeah. with the student loans things and and all of this last election what people were voting for what reasons and incentives they had to vote a particular way were just false premises and lies anyways somewhere along the line i don't know the exact dates but we took trades and trade school out of high school it used to be high school yeah i remember that used to be a part yeah yeah even home ec and different you know shop classes and all of these things that were such a predominant you know thing in high school, people could at least eliminate the things that they knew they didn't want to do or become really good at some of those trades and realize, oh, I could do this for the rest of my life or you know, the next 20, 30 years, no problem. And that was probably a big, a big challenge to the educational university system, the college system. So that's probably why it got ripped to begin with. They're just like, look, we, we need to have more people signing up for the big bucks and the big universities. Yeah. If you're 18 years old, what do you know about manifesting? Like how many people that have you have you dealt with that are 18 years old and even open to the possibility? Are your clients you know young? What? You, are they old? you would be surprised. A lot of uh, people from TikTok are teenage girls. That's like a huge population of people that are like very interested in manifesting. Um, my audience over there is like 90% female, which is crazy. And young? Um, but it's... Yeah, like most most girls are like fifteen to twenty five. That's like the main. Can... You have, you Go have, ahead. Have you found you can share the same information on Instagram and the other platforms as you share on TikTok with the same? Um. Feedback? So, TikTok and Instagram are two different beasts in my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very much more a fan of TikTok. I 
I love TikTok. Instagram, I really haven't quite figured out. And I just don't think that information sticks in the same way. It's it's just an entirely different ball game. Like I can make three, five minute videos on TikTok that are super informative, that really deliver a lot of value that get, you know, thousands of views, tons of people asking questions about it. And I can post the same video on Instagram and I'll get like 10 likes, you know, right. one personal comment on it. And I honestly, I'm really not a fan of Instagram. It's, I have to, it, you know, we have to use it, especially if you're someone like me, that's, you know, using social media to sort of run what you're doing. Uh, but I don't know. Have you found, are you on TikTok? Yeah. Okay. You know, I started TikTok when I started the podcast oh, and okay. I noticed they are completely different worlds. But yes. I also noticed that I don't want to say you get away with more, but the community guidelines are completely or a little different. What's acceptable yeah. on TikTok is not acceptable on Meta, Facebook. And Instagram wasn't always like this either. Instagram, before the Meta Facebook takeover, was a completely different machine yeah. as well. Like, I, I would say I had 12,000 followers before the pandemic started. And when I stopped posting modeling stuff, and actually, even I was manipulating it a little bit, I would put modeling photos up with the client information, put your client stuff. And then slide in a little conspiracy theorist stuff. But <laughs> yeah. it is, is seriously, as soon as I started putting stuff that was relevant to current events and truth, shut down. Shut down. Wow. Insta Instagram. Yeah, you're, you're in uh, Instagram jail, right? <laughs> they, they, uh, they've been censoring you. Complete Instagram jail. And you know what? People like that message you had sent me. People had sent me those things at the beginning of COVID going, hey, are you aware of what's going on with your Instagram? Yeah. And so people had brought it to my attention and I started other accounts, you know, some people call them burners. I started burner <laughs> accounts so I could literally go and instead of posting the information, just go and view my own account and then, you know, kind of disseminate oh, okay. fiction, what was really going on. And it was true. They, they censored me to myself. They asked me if I really wanted to add myself, if I really wanted to, to message yeah. myself, like all these you know, questions that were completely irrelevant in my mind. And I think time has, on a lot of those issues, come to tell the whole story. Like, the people mm -hmm. that were sharing information at the beginning of COVID were right. And, yeah. I mean, right now there is no, I guess there is no justice to be found in that world, but I still I envision a future. I manifest a future where... Mm -hmm. This is all is brought to the light of day. Yeah. And people do start to, you know, become more aware. Oh, my neighbor was just trying to save me turmoil or save me affliction in some way, shape or form. They weren't trying to spread misinformation. Yeah. But, so your, your TikTok's huge. No? I wouldn't say huge, but um, I have like a decent, you know, I've, I've, I'm very grateful for like everybody that I have, but it's obviously nowhere near like, you know, a gigantic community, but I have a pretty solid community over there. So I'm very, but the engagement is, the engagement is consistent. Much better than uh, Instagram. Yeah. And you get feedback from people that apply the, the techniques and the things that you're teaching them. Yeah, definitely more. So, you know, it's funny because Instagram is almost frustrating in a sense, because there's a lot of people that follow me from college, high school, old jobs that I've had. Um, but I think the algorithm for Instagram just doesn't work mm -hmm. the same way as TikTok because TikTok, you have such a higher chance of reaching new people with every single thing that you post. Mm -hmm. But with Instagram, it's really not like the for you page where you can scroll through and find a new creator, find somebody new that's really interesting and start following them and start engaging with their content. It kind of just gets pigeonholed into being delivered to the same people that are seeing it all over again. So sometimes when I post on Instagram, I'm like... People must What's be like, the, oh, here she goes again with the manifesting. Like it's 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 a very different uh, vibe and algorithm. And I honestly, I prefer TikTok. And I think that's exactly what they want you to think and feel. Hmm. If you think about it, I think the algorithm on that platform is actually directed at you for that purpose. It's on which one? Oh, here. It, as soon as you go to post it, and you actually have that thought process. Oh, these people are going to go, here she goes with the manifesting. Yeah. The algorithm, I think, is intended to make you think that, to self-censor. Oh, oh interesting. Okay. Literally, I think it's based upon topics and hashtags and different things. And they, the way I, I 
what my own research tells me is that they've split this into different subcategories and categories of acceptable, unacceptable. Yeah. And it's since it is an attention grabbing in an attention grabbing market, and they do want to compete with TikToks in some ways. I think what they're doing is if you can get attention from any communities it is, but it's attention that is going to serve, in my opinion, a deviant purpose. In other words, if you are, if you're dumbing people down, or if you're hurting the subconscious of a culture, you are rewarded yeah. for that far more than you would be for it to be like, hey guys, you know we need to spend less time on our devices. Literally, and it, it seems like, oh no, this is dystopian. This is too, this is crazy to think this way. But if you really do step back and take a look at, you know, what's being pushed and what isn't being pushed, and what kind of is the hardest to get traction behind i can't help but think it think any other way especially knowing what yeah what posting modeling picks are you know different clients yeah stupid well, that's really interesting um because now it i'm just thinking about this yeah well now it i'm thinking you... because go ahead sorry no no, no you please oh um well i'm just thinking about what you're saying and i've noticed something change with like instagram's algorithm and tiktok where they're almost becoming what the other one used to be. And I don't know mm. if anyone else that's, that scrolls sees this, but anytime I go on Instagram and I see the the trending reels and the trending stuff, it looks like brainwashing sequences. Like it's just mm -hmm. these short little clips of, of these like super fast videos that are under 10 seconds long. And I'm like, this is frying people's attention spans. Like mm -hmm. all these little short, tiny, or just like dumb content. Whereas now, and maybe it's just because I've catered my For You page to be this way on TikTok, but what I'm seeing a lot more of on TikTok now is longer videos, like two, three, four, even five minute videos of people deep diving into a subject, really analyzing something or sharing something informative. So it's kind of interesting that I feel like Instagram has become more of that like dystopian mm -hmm. attention span sucking hellscape. <laughs> They, they saw the TikTok success and they went, oh, now we're losing so much market share. How are we going to use this to our advantage? And if you, I don't know if, if you personally had gone on any mastermind searches or look for coaches in different, let's say you're a social media manager, right? All right. So yep. social media, social media management is one of those things where if you go to a coach who is coaching for social media management and you know you're signing up for their course or their mastermind or whatever their advertisements are those 10 second attention grabbing advertisements that are directed at you because they know that that's the only way to get you into their email system or to their network so that they can advertise to you call to you and barrage you with information and poise to sign up for their whatever it is with that said, TikTok, now that you mentioned it, when I started it for the podcast, I was thinking I was going to have to do really short clips and just attention, you know, getting to maybe get people into the podcast or into another place to watch it. But the one video I posted that has more traction than anything else is a long lecture. It is a bit of a long lecture by a evolution versus creation uh, topic that where the speaker actually did break some things down and it was a little bit longer and a hundred thousand views later I'm like wow it kind of it debunked my idea of what it was there so at least I'm more open to posting longer form content and I'm glad that people are more open to it because I think it's really important that we harness that like human instinct to pay attention to something for a little bit longer rather than instant gratification, instant gratification, instant yeah. gratification. It, you're like you said, it's kind of, it's a sickness. It's, it's, it's a little bit of an illness to only be able to, you know, gravitate very, very, very shortly and be addicted to that short, 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 short attention dopamine response system. But back to your point about it, it's it's by design, right? If you if you want to get in the conspiracy side of things, it's like they they want you to be dumbed down. They want you to have mm -hmm. super short attention span. Uh, so I think the best way to protest that is to watch the long videos when you see them. 
Start retraining your brain because before any of this social media stuff existed, we didn't have these attention span issues of, I think the average retention rate for, for videos now is, is within five seconds, or at least that's the cutoff on TikTok for if they determine if your video is watchable or not is within the first five seconds. Kind of like when you make, when you first meet someone in person, they say, oh, you make your first assumption of somebody in seven seconds of, you know, seeing them. So it's like, we've gotten to the point now where five seconds is where the attention span starts to break off. That's insane. So how do you combat that? You have to retrain your brain. And by retraining your brain, you just have to sit through like some of the longer videos, give yourself patience to actually listen to what someone has to say and absorb, you know, what someone has to say. And the more you train your brain to do that, it's, it's neuroplasticity. The more that you do that, the more you're going to be used to, uh, watching those longer videos again. Are you a book reader? Oh yeah. Okay. So <laughs> there's a big separation there between people that do and can read versus those that refuse to, or have that preconceived idea. I'm not really a reader. I'm not really yeah. a book reader. That's a challenge as well. I think people, even the people that are listening to audiobooks are, you know, we're really in need of people going back to that form where Turn your eyes to die to read off a paper and digest the information and sit there patiently. Like we 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 discussed um, meditation a good bit, and people that meditate can read. People that do not meditate can't read. And the technology, I, I know, it has to have some kind of major factor into whether or not we do or don't. But maybe there's a way in TikTok to get people back to reading with those long form videos. Well, I don't know about TikTok, but social media. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think thinking out loud again, if you bring this back to the manifestation topic, a lot of like what you just said comes down to identity. If you said somebody who they say, I'm not a reader. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'm not this kind of person. Oh, I'm not. That's again, subconscious programming because you've identified yourself as that kind of person for so long. Well, what if you were to stop identifying as that? Mm-hmm. What if you woke up one day and you say, you know what? I'm going to just identify as somebody that loves to read. I'm going to just kind of step into that power and see how that feels and try it out. That's sort of where the law of assumption comes in. And that's like a whole other rabbit hole, but it's living as if before you get the desired effect. So if you're somebody that wants to read more, stop telling yourself, I'm not a reader. I don't read. Get that out of your vocabulary. Wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to live as if I'm somebody that loves to read. I'm going to live as if I'm a book nerd. I'm going to live as if I'm somebody that's sitting here in a coffee shop flipping pages and just embody that energy. And then you'll see it will follow suit afterwards. You'll start to, it'll just effortlessly become a part of who you are because you're allowing yourself to go there already and you're stepping away from that identity that you've caged yourself into absolutely so they say that you are your network to a certain degree and you know so the five friends that you spend the most time with or the five influencers that you're kind of following the most of so with that said give us a couple of your influences who what books are you into right now i know you brought up joe dispenza amazing awesome um is there anybody else? Is there somebody on YouTube that I have to add to my views? Uh, there, I have tons of recommendations. Uh, I, I love to read every single morning I read with my coffee. It's like part of, I feel like such an old lady, but it's part of my routine. I get my book and my coffee and that's just how I kind of like set the vibe for the day. Um, but I just finished a really good book, uh, called you are a badass at making money by Jen Cicero. I think her name is, uh, and I was talking about some of that, you know, lack mindset stuff with money. If you are someone who has struggled to make money, that book is going to crack you open. You're going to be forced to face your shadow issues head on. Uh, so it's really eye-opening. She's very snarky in her writing style. I absolutely loved that book. So I totally recommend that. Um, oh, there's so many books. I'm trying to think. Uh, Eckhart Tolle is great. Uh, A New Earth is one of my favorites. Um, Alan Watts is great as well. I'm trying to think Joe Dispenza, obviously. Um, there's another person that's really interesting and he's probably one of my favorite creators right now. And I actually have his poetry book. His name is Dakota Wint and he is super fascinating guy. So a lot of what he talks about is, uh, psychedelic experiences that he's had. He talks a lot about plant medicine 
but he ties it into ancient cultures and he's done a ton of traveling around the world. He's gone to sacred lands in Turkey, Peru. He's always doing these kinds of like um, medicine healing trips. But apart from that, I know some people that aren't into plant medicine might say, oh, what's this guy? Just like a stoner in his basement. He's not mm -hmm. at all. He's so articulate, uh, really interesting guy. I watch a lot of his live streams if I'm just like cooking or, you know, cleaning around the house. And he has a poetry book that he recently came out with. And he has some really beautiful poems in there that are very like, if you're into more of that spiritual, esoteric kind of mystical stuff, uh, I mm -hmm. think you'd really like it. But he's probably one of my favorite creators right now. Awesome. Have you partaken personally? Plant medicine? I have not. No. Have you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah what have you what oh, yeah. have you done but long before it was ever as viewed as medicinal it was oh, definitely okay. party drug central um okay. yeah i went down i went down the acid mushroom uh wormholes for a long time until it was chocolates which were you know yeah. microdosing mushrooms i've done the weed edibles and smoked weed and ayahuasca a little bit i think on accident uh Peyote, How do you do that I, on accident? <laughs> getting getting spiked by a jerk of a friend oh. who <laughs> was like, "Welcome to the weekend." You didn't know you were gonna have. Um, yeah, I, I went down the party rabbit hole pretty deep, uh, but never to dissolve my ego on purpose. In other words, I I, mean, I never had a coach or somebody who was like, "Oh, look, you're really having these stumbling blocks," and it's because of self limiting beliefs in this area of your life where. We're really going to open up your train of thought with this hallucinogen and see what's going on, or at least let you experience some side of, you know, yourself that you're probably not really open to or communicating with. And I don't know how I feel about it in those terms because I haven't approached it that way. But yeah, I definitely saw the benefit of of mushrooms and you know maybe not some of the more you know brain times where I just got wasted to get wasted, but I definitely processed information and the world around us differently after mushrooms and after different experiences where I was, I had no choice. I had absolutely no choice, but to embrace the reality that there is much more to this existence than we're really even taught to think about. So even outside mother nature, I think we, we're all capable of looking at trees and mountains and hills and, and oceans as beautiful things. But when you sit and you dissect a, a scene for eight hours in that state, yeah, it's going to change your perception of reality. There is no, no question that I'm sure there's some applicability within therapy, within, you know, ego dissolvement. However, there's also the entire dark side of it all. And in my opinion, nobody wants to talk about that, especially right now when they're, you know, legalizing in certain yeah. states and in the states they are legalizing it. They already have epidemics that they need to deal with. They have people on the street that are druggies that are, you know, that are strung out people. They have uh, real cultural illness that needs to be addressed before they start introducing recreational drugs, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I, I moved west when I first moved west it was the greatest thing in the world to get a marijuana cart and to go into shops and shop these high end you know different weed strains to smoke but when I did really start to pay attention to the culture and the subculture there's not a lot of people that are out there succeeding in life and really you know embracing that culture as part of the reason you know what I mean? I saw more people that were living on the streets doing drugs and were A-list, you know, actors or directors and, you know, actually had some, you know, really positive impact that they were going to create in our culture or for the world for that matter. With that said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be super judgmental of, yeah. I guess, the people that are, you know, probably, probably getting some kind of therapeutics from it. I just, I don't think we'll ever understand it all. I mean, yeah. I have that, a question for you. Yes. Because okay. <laughs> um, you kind of you touched on this, like the dark side of uh, stuff. Have you ever had a, an experience with psychedelics or plant medicine that was dark? Uh, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't necessarily blame the medicines or the uh, the drugs themselves, but I would definitely say that I've had instances where I might have seen things that I didn't or wouldn't have seen if I was sober. sober. And I don't know if it's because of my psychology, because I was raised Christian, fundamentally uh, religious family, conservative upbringing, and I was living a lifestyle that was wild and out of control, or if it was because the things that I was processing were real. And I'm talking about demons. I'm talking about demon all like demon possession and I believe in it more now than I would have when I was growing up and had a more conservative view on the world, but a rational approach, if that makes any sense. So at one point in time, it would have been really hard for me to think about the devil or about demonic possession other than what I had seen on television, you know, and in movies like most of us. After some dark drug experiences in my 20s, yeah, I would say it's very, very likely that there are people that give up control of their, both their mental state, their physical state, their entire embodiment through a gradual process. And alcohol, when I finally did decide, oh, I'm going sober, it was because alcohol, I was convinced, was determining so many decisions that I was making and, and so many irrational decisions. Because, look, once you've been hung over to oblivion once or twice or 20 times and you keep telling yourself, I don't like being in this state, why does it keep happening? And, yeah, it's irrational to keep that behavior. So I did have to question, am I making these decisions? And when I kind of really inspected it, alcohol, alcohol and spirits is exactly what people are kind of opening themselves up to when they do become drunken. It's spirits. It's in many ancient cultures believe, look, you know, this is opening pathways and portals to the underworld or to an, another terrestrial, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, some of the things that I saw and some of the things that I felt, the energy, I would say were enlightening enough to know there's far more going on in this realm than we are aware of sober or as innocent youth. And I think that's a good way to think about it is that maybe we're all born innocent to a certain degree. And the things that are introduced to us along the way could have more impact than what we're probably conceived to believe or that we're taught. And alcohol, in my opinion, is for sure. The People say these are gateway drugs. I think it is a gateway. I think it is a gateway to both behaviors and maybe other entities. So, yeah, long story short. I was wondering when you, when you decided to go alcohol-free on your own, if this was because some, some similar things or if it just because you recognized the consequences of drinking were for yourself? Uh, it was twofold. I think part of it was for me, but um, another part of it was seeing some of the people that I was hanging around becoming yeah. literally like they were possessed. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. And that honestly almost spooked me enough to be like, if I keep hanging out with these people and doing these things, this is what I'm opening myself up to. And this is the path I'm heading down. And I can even say for myself at the times when I was drinking heavily, I, it was like, I was possessed too. I mean, I was doing things I never would do. And, and think about that even in, in just saying that, Oh, you, you acted like this last night. It was like, you were a different person. Well, maybe it's because Completely. it wasn't even you. Maybe it's because it was an evil spirit. And I've, I've shared this with a few people in my life and, and, uh, might sound kind of crazy. I'm sure it's not going to sound crazy to you, but, um, I had an experience actually in, in Lakeland. Um, I oh, went I to born. this. Yeah, I know. Well, this is crazy. So I, um, once I stopped drinking, I noticed that my intuition has gotten a lot stronger in terms of just, you know, sensing things. I'm very sensitive anyways. Um, but just, you know, opening myself meditation has opened me up a lot to, uh, to just, picking up things and, and being more in tune. So I went to this brunch place with my mom and I was, I was excited to go to this place. I found it online. I looked at the menu. I was ready to eat there. And 
you know, we waited like 40 minutes for the table. We were walking around. We finally sat down in there. And as soon as I entered the building, I was, I've never felt this in my life before. I was hit with this wall of this sickeningly heavy, dark energy. And we sat down and I was like, honest. And it's not like it was a panic attack or anything. I, I've never felt so uneasy in a place before. I was like, there is something evil here. And I told my mom, I'm like, I, I don't know if you feel it, but there's, there's something in this building. And I couldn't even think straight. I couldn't even look around. It felt the air felt so heavy. And it's the only time in my life, as soon as we got the food, I put my credit card down. I was like, please put these into go boxes. I told her, I was like, I can't even be in here. I was like, I have to leave. Um, super heavy energy. And I've had a few sort of like psychic experiences kind of since I've stopped drinking, uh, similar in terms of seeing negative energy and also like feeling it, um, experiences I've had with people that I, I don't know anything about. And I've sensed something about them that it later turns out to be true. Just like stuff you really can't make up. But I know that day that I felt something evil in that building and I've never felt that intense energy before. So I don't doubt it for a second. And there was a bar technically in the restaurant too. So who knows? The, the whole women's intuition thing is, it is not to be taken lightly. And yeah. I know that we all have intuition, but I think men are built with an exterior and this, this, a different processing, you know, methodology that we are kind of, I think that we're different enough that we're kind of built that way so that we should depend on each other and yeah. do not ever, no matter male or female, do not like second guess your gut and that intuition. Yes. That's awesome. I Go can tell it. you anytime I've second guessed it, I'm like, damn, I should have listened to it. I knew I was right. So yep. I really have learned to to trust my intuition now. And I think being sober has just completely opened me up spiritually in a whole new level that I was completely cutting myself off from when I was drinking. So if you ever want to blast yourself open, <laughs> maybe consider uh, stop, stop drinking, stop substances, and you'll see you'll have a whole new sense of clarity. I couldn't agree more. With that said... What other advice do you have for anybody out there who needs to kind of take this mindfulness into and manifestation a little more seriously, or if they want to start manifest their own destiny and their own reality? What's a good place to start? Well, I think a good place to start would be to kind of take inventory of your life right now, however your life is. And ask yourself, and, and this is going to require being brutally honest with yourself. Am I happy? Am I fulfilled on the path that I'm on? What do I feel like is holding me back? And take some time to, you can journal through your answer. I think journaling is a very therapeutic practice to just write out how you're feeling. And maybe once you get past that, you can say, you know what? I'm not really as happy as I thought I was now that I'm like thinking this through, or, you know what, I've always wanted to do this, or I've always wanted to start this business, or I've always wanted to be this kind of person, but why haven't I let myself try what's holding me back? And that's when you can sort of take yourself down the journey of unraveling your limiting beliefs and unpacking them. And I'm here to help you. If you want to do that, uh, I have some resources um, if you want to book a call with me, you know, we can work together and I will help you walk through that process of unpacking those limiting beliefs. Um, and I can give you the link to that. Uh, Josh, I'll give it to you so you can Definitely. put it in. Definitely. We'll put it in the um, show notes. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're not up for that, totally understand. If you want to do that process on your own, I think that is a great place to start is just unpacking. Like I said, you can't build a new house on shitty bones. So the first step to that is unpacking and kind of accepting where you are now and accepting what needs to change. Because from that point, now you've made a clean slate. Now you can start to bring in and, and integrate the tools and the practices that are going to help you create the life that you do want to make. And some of those easy tools that you can use, these are just some quick things for anybody out there. Uh, gratitude practice. It's free. It's easy. When you wake up every morning before your feet even hit the floor, think of five things that you're grateful for. Five things. It's not as hard, at guys, as you think. I promise you. Like, if you have a roof over your head, if you have running water, if you have eyes to see this podcast, if you have ears to listen to it, you already have what four things to be grateful for. So every day, like, 
it's training your brain to get into that abundance mindset rather than the scarcity. So if you're starting your place and your day rather from a place of gratitude, you're setting yourself up for success. So that's one thing you can do. Second thing that's free and easy is to visualize, have fun with it. Take like 10 minutes before you go to bed at night, visualize yourself, you know, driving in the dream car that you want, visualize yourself living in the house that you want, visualize yourself having the job that you want. And you see all the people around you smiling, being so thankful for everything you're doing. Like visualize yourself going through that process. Journaling is another great thing uh, for unpacking things. Like I said, working through a lot of stuff. Journaling has helped me tremendously. I kind of think of it as like therapy, honestly, if you're just, you know, you just want to keep saying things to yourself and just like express it, release it, move past it. Uh, what else? Meditation. I don't know if I said that yet, but meditation's great. That one's a little tricky. If, uh, you've, if you've never had experience with before, it can be a little frustrating, uh, to kind of just sit in that stillness, but those are all easy things that you could start doing tomorrow and you'll notice massive change in even just a few weeks of doing those. So. Awesome. Thank you. And where can we find you? What's the uh, best social platform to find you on? And where should we listen to your podcast? Uh, so the podcast is the philosophy of fitness podcast. You can listen to that on, um, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, YouTube channel as well. I post some videos on there. I post, you know, vlogs occasionally. TikTok is my main platform though. Uh, if you want to stay up to date with me, I post on there almost every single day. Uh, so TikTok slash I'm Haley Noel. That's my name on there. Instagram's the same. I'm Haley Noel. And uh, YouTube channel 